Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast for the first time in season six. Sace? Sace. We made it. We're here. Six seasons into this thing. Um, I mean, what are we at in terms of like real world time? We started in March of 21 and it is now August of 22. So April of 21 and it is now August of 22. So yeah, uh, 16 months. Moving right along. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, we've been, uh, we have been killing it. Uh, as in, the fact that we made it here is, <laughs> is killing it. <laughs> well, the fact that we made it here and that it's uh, that it's still growing and expanding. I exactly. Mean, it is. It is everly onward, moving ever upward. Excelsior. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. That was, that's where I was trying to go with that. Absolutely. So thank you for shepherding that past the finish line. Happy to make it happen. Yeah, no, uh, things are going really well. Um, thank you again for indulging us in a, a one-week bonus diversion. Last week's episode, obviously, was kind of a, just a little bit of an aside into some fun musings about how we would create a fun um, master quest for each game that we've played so far. Uh, and uh, now we are here to talk about a new game. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad that we had the one week between to kind of you know, collect our thoughts and to just uh, chill out a little bit before we got into this. But uh, but here we are. And, and I'm I'm really excited to talk about it because this is, I think, um, you know what? This is a game that you and I were a little apprehensive about getting into. I would say more than a little. Uh, yeah, it, it, I am also glad we took a week to kind of give ourselves some space to breathe. Um, I think it was a great idea. And I think that we have benefited greatly from it as mm-hmm. uh, as we have been really talking through on our discord chat with some of our wonderful patrons. Um, I think we have both been pleasantly surprised so far um, by this game. And uh, mm-hmm. I think it was I think part of that, at least, is due to not feeling uh, rushed to just get through the, the first section, right? Like we we were able to spend a decent amount of time with it. Um, I would probably say I spent about an hour and a half, two hours, just yeah. kind of yeah. plotting along and moseying about. And uh, yeah, it was good. I, I think that was a very smart move. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the ending of our Breath of the Wild season was so uh, breakneck. Um, to where I, I truly think that we needed a, a time to decompress <laughs> in order to go in clear eyed and and rejuvenated to tackle a new game. So, well, also Breath of the Wild is is just a massive game. Like I think going into now Legend of Zelda, which is a much smaller, more self contained um, game, is kind of refreshing um, and also giving us, like you said, that week to. Whew, just kind of catch your breath and um, enjoy from for me. Uh, I went for I'd spent a bit of time um, playing Nice Old Republic as kind of, I guess, a, a palate cleanser isn't exactly the right word because I didn't feel the need to pl- cleanse my palate. But um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, to, to kind of decompress it's one of those comfort games I go back to time and again to just like I know every single move in that game. Like I could probably play with my eyes closed. And uh, it, it was, so it was a good like recharge my battery, step take a step back and then come back at 
uh, all of this with a, a more fresh perspective. Yep. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, I do want to say one thing before we get into housekeeping, and that is just uh, to remind everybody that we do now have a Discord channel. It is available to our patrons exclusively. Um, Any person of any patron level on our Patreon has access to that Discord channel. We've got levels from $1 a month, $5 a month, and $15 a month. And any of those levels get you uh, both voting privileges on the next game that we play. Uh, Of course, we have our uh, next two games figured out. We're doing the, The Legend of Zelda this uh, front half of the season and the back half of the season is going to be the adventure of Link. But the next 3D game that we play after those um, will will be up for voting. But um, then, of course, all patrons also get access to the Discord. And that Discord has been um, a really, a, really a treat for Matt and I over the last few weeks. Um, it has been, uh, you know, a constant source of diversion and entertainment. Our community is really wonderful and it's not a uh, it's not. It's not one of your Discord channels where you're going to see 500 to like a thousand participants, um, and that's just the way that we like it. Our our little community is constantly chatting in there, and uh, it's great because in a lot of ways, I feel like uh, we already, you know, we feel like we kind of know these people already, right? For sure. Um, a lot of them are either guests that we've had on the podcast or they're patrons that we've had since the beginning, and even though we may never have, uh, you know, spoken to them before. Um, you know, they like they've they've been around the whole time and they they feel uh, like friends to us in a very uh, specific, interesting way. Absolutely. Um, and it, it feels like a, a cohesive conversation where you can actually get involved and uh, and chat with some very, very intelligent people. Um, so feel free to uh, hop on over and, and join us. We would love to have you and love to to hear your contributions to the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, if you do if you do want to hop on board and get in here, um, we've got, like Matt said, lots of intelligent people who are hanging out in this channel. Um, in addition to guests that we have on the podcast pretty frequently, uh, Max Nichols, uh, recurring guest, Cody Davies of Zelda Universe, um, future guest, uh, Josh, also at Zelda Universe, uh, is in there as well. A um, lot of really, really, uh, really great people. So, yeah, get in the Patreon and then get in the Discord because it's a good time. Um, I actually uh, posted a prompt uh, at the beginning of the evening reminding everybody that we were recording this episode tonight and soliciting listener questions, of which we got three, and they were all good. Absolutely. Cody's not trolling us this time. Look at that. It was a little bit of a troll, I mean, but but also I think it was a legitimate question. So that's that's true. And it's funny. And we'll, so. get, and we'll get to it. It's hilarious. We'll get to it later. <laughs> um, but yeah. So, yeah, go uh, go check out the discord, especially if you are already a patron and you have not been in there yet. Definitely go do that because it's a great time. Matt, are you ready to get into a little bit of uh, housekeeping? I am ready to get into a little bit of housekeeping. I do just want to say, uh, everybody, if my if I sound a little bit uh, tuckered out or a little bit less enthused than normal, it has nothing to do with the game. I just spent all day moving uh, my girlfriend out of her apartment uh, for the last eight-ish hours uh, in the 103-degree heat today. So uh, my lack of normal exuberance is uh, is not a reflection upon the game whatsoever do you think that we're going to be done moving collectively like as a as a family for a little while i mean I'm, well i'm really tired of it i don't know we'll see <laughs> <laughs> okay uh yeah fingers crossed on that one definitely i'll take one of those if you uh, i if, if i have enough tobacco i will do okay that. cool 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 
Alrighty. Well, let's get into a little bit of housekeeping. Actually, you know what? We have one order of business before we do the housekeeping. Oh, we have orders of business. What we is, do. What are those? I mentioned in the, sorry, yes, orders upon orders upon orders of business before we actually get into this episode. Sorry about that, folks. So uh, I mentioned in the Discord channel earlier today that we were actually going to be extending the season by uh, one week. I mean, this might happen again later, but uh, we are going to be extending at least the front half of season six by one week. And that is to make room for a bonus uh, guest that we have managed to book. Um, and that is uh, that is an episode that is going to come out one week from when you're listening to this one. So that that episode will be airing on uh, Wednesday, August. What is that? Wednesday, August 17th is when that episode will air and it will air in place of The Legend of Zelda Chapter 2. It'll push that out a week. Um, usually we do not uh, substitute regular episodes with bonus episode content. However, this one felt really appropriate. I'm prepared now to announce the guest that we will be having on for this bonus episode is none other than uh, Phil Summers, who, if you don't recognize the name, uh, if you're a fan of Zelda, uh, especially if you've been online the last few years and you follow the Zelda kind of collectibles, um, you know, hobby, then you'll recognize the product that Phil made. Uh, he is the genius, the creative genius behind hand-drawn game guides, which we've referenced on the podcast before, um, but basically has created a series of hand-drawn, hand-illustrated game guides for older games. I know he's done one for Metroid, um, a few others, but also notably has done one for the original The Legend of Zelda. And so Phil is going to come on the show to talk to us about the uh, game guide that he made for this game that we're now playing, but also to talk about the lost art of the game guide in general, um, its place in the gameplay experience of games from this era, um, and a lot of stuff kind of branching off of that. I feel like that's going to be a really appropriate conversation, Matt, because one thing that we were told by several people going into this game was that it was very important to read the guide in advance because it actually contains necessary information, not even just like from a gameplay mechanics perspective, but from like a story perspective. Even. Yeah, and I think I don't want to get too much into stuff that we will undoubtedly talk about in the episode. But yes, that is a recurring theme. And uh, we both actually followed that advice. Yes, uh, Matt and I both downloaded uh, a PDF of the legend of zelda original original game manual and read it before playing this game and we have both kept a copy of uh phil's hand-drawn game guide open uh the entire time as well and it's an incredible product and we're very excited to talk to him about uh you know the creation of that so gonna be a fun one i absolutely agree Awesome. Well, with that out of the way, let's actually get into housekeeping. If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly re-examination of The Legend of Zelda, one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. Every week we play a new section of a Zelda game and then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to get access to our Discord channel, listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and much more. 
Additionally, one of the benefits that we offer to our patrons is that Master Sword patrons and above get their names read every week here on the show. Those legendary individuals are Mike, Dylan, Allie, Lennon, Leviticus, Kolku, Rowan, Joshua, Nick, Keep It Going Pod, Dante, Gep, Mary, Brittany, Davey, Haru, The Mighty, our fearless Discord admin, Derek, Albert, Mark, Andy, Cameron, Tyler, Ben, Daniel, Nick D underscore TV, Travis, Christian, Jonathan, Hyrule Interviews, a.k.a. Mac. Nichols, who today uh, committed to which episode of The Legend of Zelda he was going to want to be on for. So uh, that's actually going to be a lot of fun because Max is playing this game for the first time along with us, which I don't think we can say of anything that we've done before now. So, <laughs> yeah, he's he's normally the one that's bringing really cool historic knowledge to us and uh, saying how he experienced it for the first time. Uh, and especially like for me with Link to the Past uh, being my first time playing that game. So this will be really fun to talk to him about a game that he undoubtedly knows a lot of history about, but has never personally experienced. Well, let's be real. Even though he's never played this game himself, he has memorized by heart no less than 55 quotes about the creation of this game. Oh, for sure. Maybe more. So possibly more. (laughs) So that'll be a good one. Uh, Garrett and Drew round out that list. Y'all are truly legendary individuals. We could not make this podcast without your generous support. Uh, Thank you for hanging around and being a part of our community. Uh, See y'all in the Discord channel. But without further ado, let's talk about what we played. We do that, of course. Every week in the Sacred Realms Rundown, returning now after a one-week hiatus for the first time in Season 6, the Sacred Realms Rundown is a six-part analysis of what we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel. Today we are covering The Legend of Zelda, the original Chapter one. The original. Chapter one of the entire thing, Matt. No bloody A or B or C or D. I know that that was a Scotty quote, but I yes. feel like your accent sort of came out like a like a mild Yorkshire, maybe? It did. It did. Uh, I don't want to retry it because I'm bad at it. So okay. we're just going right. to let it be what it is. Famously, uh, James Doohan, the actor who played Scotty, was not Scottish. He was, in fact, Canadian. Wow. That is... Honestly, heartbreaking. On uh, also interesting trivia about James Doohan. He was uh, he was on the ground at D Day, where he was shot seven times and lost a finger. He shot seven times and survived. I might seven. I, I don't know. It's uh, I want to say seven. That sounds right. It, it was he was shot multiple times and lost a finger at D Day. So what a badass! I know, right? James Doohan, gone too soon. There's your uh, James Doohan trivia for the week. <laughs> <laughs> and our our absolutely unavoidable weekly uh, somehow sneak Star Trek into this Zelda podcast. Yeah, it's just not. It's never going to stop. No. Well, we're not here to talk about the hero James Doohan. We're here to talk about part one of The Legend of Zelda chapter one, which is, as always, the plot recap. Uh, this week read by me as I wrote it, and we now exist on a he who writes it, reads it system and he wrote it because again i was otherwise occupied all day yeah absolutely i was happy to write this one it was fun there was a bit to chew on here you know i I am curious so this is definitely not one of the longer introductory plot recaps um for for a chapter one of a game which i think we expected because the yeah for sure the plot i mean this is you know the plot is 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 not as beefy as it is in other ones but i'm curious if this is going to bear out into shorter episode runtimes overall or if we're i mean i would find a way to gab about this for an hour and a half i would think so just because plot recaps generally take up five to ten ish minutes by themselves so you know at least a marginally shorter but maybe not 
all that much, especially because we just spent the last 20 minutes rambling on about nothing and housekeeping and James doing Dan James doing. <laughs> so we, we always find a way to just ramble our way into very long episodes that probably don't need to be as long as they are. Uh, our, our significant others slash spouses have recently informed us that we are somewhat long winded. Just a smidge. Just a smidge. I don't think they're wrong. I, there's there's definitely some truth to it. All right. Without further ado, the plot recap as read by me. I can't wait to insert the music into this one. It's going to be great. Long ago in the land of Hyrule, an evil wizard named Ganon sought to control the three pieces of the mystical wish-granting Triforce in order to bring about an age of darkness and oppression to the kingdom. This evil king, born in the shape of a man but now twisted into the form of an immense boar, was defeated by a wise princess of Hyrule and a courageous young swordsman. The three pieces of the Triforce were reclaimed from the mystical realm in which they had been hidden and were guarded closely by the royal family of Hyrule for centuries. Generations and generations elapsed, and eventually the Triforce of Courage was lost and forgotten. Without the complete Triforce, the royal family of Hyrule was greatly diminished and the land fell into decline. The Triforce of Power and Wisdom remained, however, and continued to bring some amount of blessing to the kingdom. One day, the evil king of legend reappeared in Hyrule with a cursed army and retook the Triforce of Power for himself. The princess of Hyrule, a young woman named Zelda, feared that Ganon, with all his power, would succeed in claiming the Triforce of Wisdom as well, and in order to keep this from happening, chose to split the Golden Triangle into eight pieces and hide each piece in ancient labyrinths scattered throughout Hyrule. Zelda then tasked her nursemaid Impa with a mission to find someone courageous enough to defeat Ganon. Upon learning of these events, Ganon flew into a rage, imprisoned Zelda, and sent a search party after Impa. A young man clad in green named Link comes across Impa being accosted by these monsters and drives them off. Impa conveys the message of Zelda to Link, who then agrees to take up the quest of uniting the Triforce of Wisdom, conquering Ganon and saving Zelda. It's here in the plot recap where, weirdly, I switched from a from one storytelling perspective to another one. Like, did, you, did you switch from narrator to uh, first, first person? person? Yeah, third third to first. Yeah, no, that's smart. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. But I didn't even like intent. Like it just sort of happened while it because. But I think that's fair because up until now you've you've basically been kind of quoting, paraphrasing, and expounding upon the uh, entry text that's at the beginning of the game and right. also what's in the uh, guide. Um, and then, as we always do for plot recaps in this game, we always tell it from the perspective of us as Link. So I think that makes a certain amount of sense. And this so. is the moment where we click over to, to taking to control. Exactly. Link. Yeah. Yes. So just imagine in your head you've pushed the power button on your NES. It's go time. We begin our journey in a quiet glade in southern Hyrule. The most immediate obstacle before us is the lack of an appropriate weapon. Stumbling into a nearby cave, we're greeted by a kindly old man who says, It's dangerous to go alone. Take this. And generously offers us a wooden sword. This is sure to help the young hero safely navigate the monster-ridden land of Hyrule in search of the Triforce pieces. 
we set off to explore the kingdom in search of this mystical quarry. What follows are days spent fending off monster attacks, collecting rupees and the occasional bomb, and even stumbling upon secret chambers containing life-expanding heart containers. Eventually, we discover an island in the middle of a lake in central Hyrule. This island is home to a cluster of dead tree stumps, one of which turns out to contain a passageway which leads underground. Sensing that this may be a promising avenue of exploration, we proceed through the door and find ourselves in an immense subterranean stone passageway, with doors to other rooms on either side. We proceed from one room to the next, defeating many monsters along the way. Skeletal Stalthos and winged keys give way to a chamber occupied by three boomerang-wielding Gorilla. Once defeated, we take a boomerang from the clutches of a fallen monster for our own, which proves to be useful in briefly stunning most enemies and leaving them vulnerable to attack. Further into the dungeon, we discover a map which shows us that the rooms are arranged in the form of a great eagle. We stumble upon an old man in a chamber who imparts to us the cryptic message, Eastmost Peninsula is the secret. It doesn't take us long to determine the truth in these words, as we discover a stairway guarded by seemingly immovable stones. Remembering the old man's words, we go to the eastmost stone and are able to push it aside. Contained at the bottom is a passageway, at the end of which is a magnificent bow. This will surely come in handy later, but for now we have no arrows. With only a few unexplored rooms remaining on the map, we delve into the westernmost reaches of the labyrinth, where we are confronted by Aquamentus, an immense fire-breathing dragon. It's all that we can do to stay one step ahead of the lethal fireballs cast by the dragon, but a series of sure strikes to Aquamentus's head leaves it defeated before us. Surely this beast must have been guarding something special. This hunch is immediately rewarded when, upon stepping into the next chamber, we see a glorious golden triangle suspended in midair before us. We know without being told that this must surely be one of the eight pieces of the Triforce of Wisdom, and taking it in our hands, we feel our life force increase. There's so much struggle left before us, but for now, we can feel accomplished in a successful start to our quest. This has been the plot recap as read by me. This brings us to part two, which is our takes in which we talk about this section of the game and how it made us feel. Well done, Lyndon. That was a very, very well done plot recap. Uh, you always do a fantastic job when you uh, step in and take the reins and help me out uh, by doing that for us. Yeah, you know, I'm always happy to do it. Um I do have to confess that uh, on the weeks that I take over this responsibility from you, it's always a good time. Um, and to begin a game this way is uh, is equally fun. Uh, there was actually a little bit to kind of chew on here. I mean, uh, some of it is uh, actually I would say about 50 percent of this is stuff that uh, is pieced together from knowledge of the rest of the Zelda timeline and then also things that are contained in like text blocks yeah. that, you, that you never even see take place or in the, or in the game guide. Um, and then the other 50% is stuff that we actually did in this section of the game. Um, let's go ahead before we get into our takes, Matt, and talk about the historical placement of this game within the timeline of the legend of Zelda, because we've said that we would kind of do that whenever we get into a new entry. Um, you know, in Ocarina of time, we, uh, we had a splitting of timelines and from that point on, which actually, you know, looking back on it, I, I truly think for that reason alone, Ocarina was the right place to start, right? Oh, absolutely. Because it's kind of other than Skyward Sword, the starting point for the history of 
every other game, right? Yeah. Because yeah. they all fall into one of these three distinct timelines. So if we were trying to have this discussion uh, without having had played Ocarina of Time yet, this would be difficult. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So uh, just a quick reminder, there are three timelines in the Legend of Zelda series. There is the child timeline, which takes place after Child Link uh, returns from the dark future in Ocarina of Time. There is the adult timeline, which continues after the dark future of Ocarina of Time. And then there is the downfall timeline, which presupposes that uh, the hero of time fell fighting Ganon at the end of Ocarina of Time. Ganon was sealed away into the sacred realm along with the Triforce. The Sacred Realm was then corrupted um, and the kingdom fell into decline. This game takes place almost at the furthest end of the Downfall timeline. There is, uh, of course, a sequel to this game, and so that is actually the, the furthest point. But this game takes place after A Link to the Past, after A Link uh, between worlds after Link's Awakening takes place after all those. And so you'll remember that in A Link to the Past, the Triforce was resting in the Dark World, in the Sacred Realm, in the Pyramid of Power with Ganon um, after having seized it from uh, Link and Zelda in Ocarina of Time. Uh, the Triforce was recovered by Link and Zelda at the end of A Link to the Past. Um, and, you know, the lore kind of tells us that it was held by the uh, by the um, by the royal family of Hyrule after that time. Of course, we have a few games um, where we get more Triforce lore filled in between then and now, but what is important is that um, the Triforce of Courage is nowhere to be seen. It has been forgotten. The Triforces of Wisdom and Power are the only two that are relevant to this specific story. Um, Ganon was, of course, killed by, or, or, or I guess was, it's a little ambiguous, right? Not, I guess he wasn't killed because he, he's here, right? So I guess he wasn't killed? He, I think he was killed in A Link to the Past. I know of at least one other time that he was revived using dark magic um, between A Link to the Past and now, so I guess it's feasible that it happened again um somehow ganon has returned oh no <laughs> the of dead the, speak of all of all the star wars quotes to pull in you had to do that one. Oh man <laughs> i mean it's appropriate unfortunately but yes there it is the, the the triforce of power is a pathway to many abilities it's that some would consider to be unnatural <laughs> We got Star Trek and Star Wars together in one episode. Ah, yeah. So, yeah, that's where this takes place. Downfall timeline at the very far end of that timeline. Um, really interesting kind of from a lore perspective, Matt. I think that uh, it really kind of fits in with the setting of this game because as soon as we load in, um, I think it, it's pretty clear from our initial exploration of Hyrule that this is probably the emptiest incarnation of Hyrule that, of any that we played, right? Well, yeah, I mean – whether that is lore wise or uh, a game limitation from be it being on an NES, I guess let's just say both. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, sure. I think it's fair to say both because uh, if we're at the almost furthest end of the downfall timeline, you would think that Hyrule was a pretty desolate kind of place to be hanging around. One thing that is interesting is that there is no Hyrule Castle in this game, and we know that the royal family of Hyrule still exists. A theory that kind of is floating around and that I've read before now is that this game actually does not take place uh, in the majority of the continent of Hyrule. Mm -hmm. um, the theory is that this game is actually mostly contained to the, I guess, the Death Mountain foothills. Well, that would make sense because it is a small section, again, obviously being an NES. So it's it's a smaller section than most other games that we've played. And it does kind of have a limited scope of um, 
various regions. Like you have woods and you have lakes and then you've got Death Mountain and that's kind of it. So mm-hmm. I guess that, that that would make a certain amount of sense. And, and the conspicuous lack of a Hyrule Castle definitely yeah. would kind of lean into that theory. I like I like the amount of headcanon that can go into filling in the narrative, not narrative, the, the filling in the game, pl- the lack of game design there. And obviously that would stem from the NES being what it was, but being able to headcanon your way into making that part of the lore of the game itself instead of just a restriction of the older console is really cool. Yeah. And, and I like that a lot because the, the confines and geography of of this fictional world are still very um they're very fundamental you know there there's a lot of very broad bullet points and and there's a lot of uh filling in that we can do between those i will say that if you look at the map of hyrule and if you imagine it to be the northeast corner of the world map of a link to the past it actually does fit right because of course you've got death mountain um at the at the far north right right but then at the very far uh west of our map we've got the graveyard which we know to have been right next to the sanctuary in a link to the past so if you just imagine it as that like top northeast corner it actually does i mean you can kind of explain it away as kind of fitting into to that area so i you know whatever i think <laughs> it's not necessary for you to buy into that one way or another to kind of enjoy the story here because the story itself is very bare bones as well um we are we're given very little information about any of the major players here right mm-hmm. we have got very rudimentary knowledge uh that the game gives us of ganon zelda and link uh, and Impa. And Impa, who we don't even see. Yeah, I was about to say, I don't think she even appears in the game. At least, I don't know if she appears later. We have never played this game. She, so. does, she does not. I looked into this. Impa does not appear anywhere in this game. Um, she is contained. She's mentioned in the uh, opening text bubble after the title screen. And uh, she is depicted in artwork in the game guide. So I think that that's all, that's all very interesting. Um, let's see. Ha, ha, hmm. I'm trying to think of of how to kind of tackle this discussion because there's a, a few things that we're bringing into this. I think it's probably best to start off with um, us laying out for our viewers what our apprehensions were going into this game before we talk about what we actually thought of our first experience with it. And a quick reminder that Matt and I, neither of us have any experience with this at all. I played maybe five minutes of this game when it, uh, when the NES service first dropped on the switch. Uh, and I, and in, in no kind of serious way, like I just jumped into it to say, Oh, I played something on in the NES on my switch. Right. Like, um, didn't like abandon it because I was having a terrible time with it or anything. It like, I couldn't even call it an honest shot. Right. Right. So I spent about five minutes with it. Matt has spent no time with it. So Matt, I, I guess, what were your apprehensions going into this game? Because we, we have been very upfront about the fact that this is the one that we felt like maybe we just had to get out of the way, you know? Yeah. I think most of it comes from the hearsay rumors about how incredibly difficult it is. Um, 
And just the fact that NES games in general are kind of notorious for being very not user friendly across the board. Like the control scheme is kind of difficult. The combat is clunky and unforgiving. Um, I mean, obviously, back in the days of the NES, there were no save states. There was no rewind. You if you died, you like started over at the beginning of the like where I think you start over in that clearing if you die and you have to retrace your path all the way to wherever it was that you died. Um like it was just it was a lot of things that were told to us about what it was like to play this game on the NES and none of them sounded super fun. Like a lot of people say like, oh, you know, it's super important to play this game because of how, uh, how it, obviously it's the original. So, you know, you have to play it. And sure. Um, also, you know, a lot of people say it's a really fantastic game. And um, but yeah, just NES games in general are have a kind of a notorious reputation among modern day gamers. Um, and having played maybe one NES game in my life, actually, that it was the is an SNES game, the Return of the Jedi. Have you never played the original Super Mario Brothers? No, you're right. I have played that one. Yeah. So I guess that's the only NES game I've ever played. OK. And that one is also kind of notoriously difficult like there are there are jumps in there that are like almost impossible tell to tell you what to get it's, a, it's a lot harder feeling to me as an adult now than it was when a kid i don't know right. what that's about but maybe just a lack of patience like when you're a kid you're just like oh yeah i'm just gonna keep going until i get it but as an adult i'm like okay i have tried this one jump six times and i have i just can't make it and i'm just like frustrated beyond belief so maybe it's that but um yeah i think it all comes down to just the hearsay rumors of how unforgiving and difficult this game can be and also kind of obtuse in its uh structure and layout especially as we have said if you don't read the guide and kind of keep that keep up with that kind of stuff yeah so. and you know and and not very many hints really at all on where to go from place to place the game manual does contain um hints and instructions on how to get to the first two dungeons yep so uh, so that's about all you get from the packed in game manual i will say as well that since again this is the first time Matt and I have played this game. We have less experience with it than any of the other ones we played. I'm sure that there are things that the game does at points to help you along, or at least I think there might be. It's entirely possible that Matt and I will not discover those um, because there are things that you uh, that I've learned you find in Zelda games after replaying them for the third or fourth or fifth time or whatever. And so, you know, I'm sure there's some stuff that's going to go right underneath of our radar. That's where we rely on our on the experience of other people to kind of help um, give us those, you know, those small tips and tricks. But that being said, yeah, I think that we were both feeling like like we knew that there was no way that this combat specifically was going to feel any better than a link to the past. How could it? Because uh, we're dealing it's with older. An, it's an older generation. We knew there was no spin attack. So your diagonal combat ability is kind of zero is zero to begin with. Right. Um, I think we anticipated this being highly difficult, maybe even punishingly difficult. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, to to use the O word obtuse um, yep. to an incredible degree. And um you know, the thing is that I don't think that we were necessarily disproven in any of those things. I, I no, I would say we were not disproven in any of those things. I would say that with that being the, the case, I enjoyed the hell out of my time with this first section of game completely in spite of all of that. Like, I would say that even in some ways those realities kind of came together to make this a fun and nostalgic experience in a way that I was not expecting for it to. Um, 
Is that fair to say for you as well, Matt? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the the addition of the rewind capability on the Switch was heavily utilized by me. I died dozens of times just in trying to make it to the first dungeon because the combat's just not great. It's just clunky. And um, the timing is hard to get down. The enemies go on very erratic paths and run into you. And every single one of them does at least half a heart's worth of damage. Um, Yeah, I mean, it was definitely difficult. Um, Without the guide, I would not have made it to the dungeon. Uh, it, It just, yeah, I mean, it was not easy going, but it was fun. And it was charming and it was... Yeah, it it was nostalgic, even though I don't have a lot of reference to have nostalgia. It's still somehow scratched our 80s kids. No, and neither of us have really spent a lot of time with games like this. Like we've spent some time in some arcades like this is to this is most similar to me to like one of those old style X-Men arcade games where you're side scrolling and and hack and slashing through enemies or something. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. Like it, it felt like a handheld arcade game in some ways which was really fun and i guess that is kind of where the nostalgia that i have is coming from is like oh this is just a it's just an old game that was it's just a product of its time and it's still fun i don't know yeah i think it's important for us to mention the way that we're playing this game you mentioned that the guide helped you to get to the first dungeon and i i want to say that for my part at least i am keeping uh phil summer's hand-drawn game guide up to reference while I play through this. I am not referencing any walkthroughs. So for instance, in the discovering of secrets, uh, I'm not going on an online list and saying, give me a list of like heart locations and how to find them or whatever. Um, I, I So uh, Phil's game guide does have a world map that has a numerical list of secrets that you can find. And so I am kind of referencing that, but it gives no instruction on how to uncover them, really. So um, that that is something that I'm doing. I will also be referencing that in terms of the locations of the dungeons, just because, again, I don't think that this game does any of – Uh, Like, for instance, what A Link to the Past does, where there's a narrative through line that takes you from one dungeon to the next to the next. And I do want to play these in the order in which they were intended. Yeah, because that's that's the other thing is like you can accidentally stumble into a dungeon that you have no business being in. Like you could potentially stumble into Dungeon 5 and or at least I would assume so. I almost stumbled into Dungeon 2. Uh, right off the bat, just because I was wandering around for a while before I like decided to actually go do the first dungeon. I was wandering around kind of in the lake region and uh, I saw a cave and I was like, oh, that looks neat. And I was like, mm, yeah. maybe I don't want to go in there. <laughs> and, you know, it may sound like a cheat to be um, to be referencing a, a guide as as nonspecific as it is. Uh, and it is somewhat specific in some places, but it may sound like a cheat to be referencing a guide. And it may sound like a cheat to be using features like the rewind feature on the switch, even though many people who we trust very much have told us don't feel bad about it. Just use that thing because it's a lifesaver. Yeah. Um, and, and I understand that that is definitely not necessarily the most authentic experience in which to play this game. But I think where Matt and I are at is that, We are considering ourselves to be on a guided journey 
of this experience. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I want to be upfront in saying that I have zero intention of trying to have a purely authentic experience with The Legend of Zelda or The Adventure of Link for my first time around because I do want to enjoy this game. I don't want to have all of those fears that I have about it and then have nothing to kind of mitigate the downside of those. Yeah. Well, but but at the same time, I feel like had we been seven years old in 1986 or seven, uh, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that we would have been consulting a guide. Oh, absolutely. We this, totally would right? have been. Yes. We would have been buying Nintendo Power and all those other things, and, and we, we probably would have been making use of those. So I think what we're kind of doing here, wh- what I hope we're doing, is we're building a first experience with this game upon which we can come back to it later for fun and have a knowledge of it. Yeah. And, and enjoy it, you know, having some, a, a bit more like baked in um, experience with it. So that's that's kind of where we're at with it. And I will say that I think that that was a really good call on our part because um, I found myself finishing up this section of game and then being in a huge mood to just like go play more of it. And I, I get the impression that we probably could have like maybe even like cleared this. Because it's it does not seem to be a humongously long game. Yeah, I think that if we really so I'm about to take a road trip down to a friend's bachelor party and bring my switch with me. And like I theoretically could probably beat this game in that road trip. I'm not going to do that, but like I I feel like that's possible. Yeah. And I definitely understand now why this game is such a big um, is such a big one for speedrunners, especially for people who try to find ways to beat games as quickly as possible without using glitches or whatever. Like if you have this game memorized, um, then I can definitely see where it would be really fun to just try and clear it as fast as possible. Um, and, and and yeah, I, I think it's just it's just that kind of game. Um, it is not very large but what is here is is really fun so let's get into talking more specifically about what we do in this section of game matt how was your initial exploration into this version of hyrule and feel free to talk about the the combat here because that's what we spend most of our time really doing right yeah so i would say that i immediately went in and obviously got the sword and then just kind of wandered around trying to find some low-level enemies that i could tackle and kill to get rupees and bombs because i really wanted to go put to the test what I've been told about The Legend of Zelda, which is that bomb every wall because you're never going to know which one's going to actually blow up. And so... So uh, I wanted to bomb as many walls as I could uh, because there's no way to know which one's going to yield a yield a secret and which ones aren't. So uh, I'm I'm wandering around just throwing bombs on trees and on brick walls as often as I can running out of bombs, going to kill some more red uh, Octorox and try to get some more and Mm, then uh, come back. So like I spent a lot of time just rupee farming, bomb farming, blowing, trying to blow up walls. and yeah, it was just a lot of that. I died a lot to red Octorox, blue Octorox, blue Moblins. Uh, yeah, it's just levers, le- hats. The levers are the worst because they just like randomly pop up right underneath of you. So here's one thing that I did learn because my experience with levers comes mostly from, well, like Link to the Past Link's Awakening and Ocarina of Time, but especially in Ocarina of Time, they sort of spawn infinitely, right? And uh, when you damage one, if it goes back underground, it does not come back up as like a damaged version of that enemy. And in this game, they do. Yes. And how it seems to work is that when you come onto a screen, if that screen has got six levers on it, 
um, that are popping in and out of the ground. If you hit one with a sword and then it goes back underground, it will pop up somewhere else with that same amount of health. And then after you have defeated them all, then the screen is clear and they do not keep spawning. So, yes. So basically what I learned to do with the levers is to is to kind of stay stationary while waiting for the spawn and then fight however many of them were above ground until they go back underground and then stay stationary again until they come back up. I think that that is a good one because I found myself more often than not wandering directly into the path of a lever as I was trying to like make my way across the screen i would be walking and then the little you know bubble it would it would bubble up out of the ground and i wouldn't have enough time to backtrack or move and it would hit me and so that was mostly how i died to levers that was that was my biggest health sink as well yeah it was frustrating so i have a question for you and i i knew that i was going to have to ask you this as soon as i realized that this was the case Uh because i did not know that this game, I, I knew obviously that it contained bombable walls, but I had no idea that there was no visual representation of when a wall was bombable or not. So here's my question for you, Matt. Yes. Do you prefer this game where it's got bombable walls, but there's no way for you to tell which section is bombable? Or do you prefer A Link to the Past where it has literally bombable walls? so many walls that look like they should be bombable but are not? I'd rather have the fake bombable walls because that's at least a visual indicator that you can test. Okay. Like in this in in this instance, you just have to bomb everything. And that's a huge waste of bombs and a huge waste of time in my opinion and it's it's kind of annoying. So, so yeah, I'll t- I'll take the I'll take the bait and switch over the nothing so uh i will say that the rule i kind of came up with for myself with this because you can only carry eight bombs at a time yes um and you can pick up four in one go so what my whole rule was that if i knew that there was like so again i was referencing a map and if i see a secret listed on a section of wall on this map and it's nothing but but wall then i'm like okay clearly one of the, the clearly a section of this wall is bombable so i would use like four bombs and try to break open the wall right yeah and If I discovered the door, then I would not use the rewind feature. I would go into the room and get whatever was in there and then go back out and get more bombs later. Um, If I used all my bombs and did not successfully find the section of wall that that was bombable, then I would rewind and give it another go. Try again. Yeah. Yeah, I did not do... I didn't do any rewinding for bombable walls. The only rewinding I did was for deaths. And so far, but I like your strategy and I will probably adopt it. Did you find this, the asshole who he's behind a bombable wall down in the South end, you go in there and he says, Oh, Hey, you bombed my door. Give me 20 rupees. No, I did not find that guy. <laughs> Thank God. Screw that guy. <laughs> yeah. Went through all that effort. Me you just take my money. Yeah, no, that was, that would annoy the hell out of me. <laughs> did you happen to find the rupee game? No, I did not. Uh, the only secret I found in all of my bombing world uh, uh, was a piece of heart over in the lakes region. Uh, found that, and that was it. So kind yeah. of a frustrated. I think that's another reason why I'm so frustrated with the bombing is because I spent so much time bombing walls, and I only found one stupid piece of heart. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and just to clarify, at the end of by the end of this section, which items did you have in your inventory? Uh. Do we want to talk about that now or? Well, I'm just curious because it kind of informs what secrets you were able to find. Oh, I have a, a boomerang, an extra heart, a bow and arrow, or just a bow. I don't have any arrows for it. Uh, sword, shield, and that's it. 
Cool. So I actually got the blue candle in this initial place as well. You can use that to burn some trees on the map. Um, I actually got two extra heart containers, one through a bumble wall down in the in the lower region. And then there's a tree that you can burn just to the south of dungeon one. Oh, nice. And there's a heart container in there. I've tried to bomb that tree a lot because I was also using the same hand drawn guide and saw that there was a secret there. I bombed like every tree in that region like eight times while that Zolo <laughs> was shooting at me. And I, yeah, I wonder, are those supposed are those supposed to be Zolas or are they supposed to be Zoras? And I think just they're a Zola thing. Oh, I, I, I don't know. That's a good question for Max. OK. Or Cody. OK. Or Josh. That sounds good. Um, Someone smarter than us because yeah, I don't know. Right. So anyway, yeah, blue candle you can use once per screen. Once you get the red candle, you can cast fire infinitely. I don't believe that the fire has any offensive capability. I'll need to test that in the next section because I didn't try to use it on any enemies. So I it does, the, at least from the, the red candle. Maybe it's a fire rod. I don't know. And the only reason I know this is because uh, it's kind of a cool aside. There are two versions of the Legend of Zelda on the Switch. One of them is the SP version so it's like the special version i loaded into that one first because i was like oh maybe it's like got different music or an uprez or something it as soon as you launch that game it drops you into the clearing at the beginning of the game with a white tunic the the magical sword the magical shield and every inventory every inventory item 250 rupees and i was like I don't think this is the version of the game I'm supposed to be playing. Um, so I, I, I did just kind of humor it, though, and walked around and, and used the fire rod and killed uh, Octorok with it. So cool. That was kind of neat. fun. There you go. The, the, uh, the offensive power of fire does come to us at some point in this game is what I is what I'm taking from that. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So the combat, I would say, uh, honestly, I did not find to be any more or less challenging than A Link to the Past. Um, even even without having the spin attack to rely upon, what I did find is that at least in this intro section of the game, there are enough like obstacles in the world to where you can kind of like pay attention to the movement of enemies and you can kind of place yourself to uh, to kind of like get them in choke points, essentially. Yeah, I think uh, I was using that more heavily in the areas that have very defined lanes within trees. Like there's an area that basically is turned into a grid by a clump of trees. There's actually the same thing in Dungeon 1. There's an area, it's the where the, all the wall masters are, that just forms more or less a, a grid with lines and, and columns. Um, and I was using those heavily in both the Outworld and in the dungeon. Gotcha. Okay, that makes total sense. Cool. So do you have anything else that you want to say in our takes before we kind of move on to talking about our first dungeon? <laughs> I mean, do you have any feelings on the story for one thing? I mean, like, yeah, I, I like it. I think it's, I think it's interesting. Uh, I told, I actually texted you as soon as we started, I was like, dude, we just got dropped into this game with no intro, no like text block, no nothing. And it just like drops you into this clearing, no sword, no, no signpost of what to do. And obviously we've already read the guide, so we knew what to do. And I was like, that's just a very jarring experience coming from, you know, the modern era of gaming that we have grown up in and have been playing for the last 16 to 18 months. Um, so that was like just a very odd thing to experience after especially breath of the wild, which has an entire section devoted to introductory mechanics right. <laughs> and storytelling. Um, so that was interesting, but not 
bad, I don't think. Just like, again, trying to put myself in the mindset of this game is a product of its time. And, you know, I did get to see the text bubble at the beginning of the game. Uh, if you don't hit the start button for a, a little while, then it'll scroll the, t- the story text bubble that Lyndon put in his plot recap. So I knew that. Obviously, also read the guide, so got the story beats from there. And, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. Um, I'm interested to see what they're going to be able to do on an NES to further that story outside of just dungeon diving and Triforce piece collecting. Um, I'm interested to see if there's any I'm willing to exposition. Say, I'm willing to say probably not. There's there's probably not. So yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, I, but that's like what I it kind of, that's the bone I kind of have with most of these older top towns is the, the filling in of the story as you go is left entirely up to you as the player and your experience in the dungeon with very little exposition or guidance yeah uh so our patron dylan just dropped this little image in uh, in the discord channel and it's a picture of this little link that appears at the end so if you if you let the scroll happen if like if you sit at the title screen for long enough then it scrolls through the text bubble that explains the backstory and then it's there's a little scroll which shows you the items that you can get in the game Right. And what they're called. And then at the very end, there's a little link holding up a sign that says, please look up the manual for details. And I think that's just hysterical because I cannot imagine like, I I mean, even even a link to the past, I don't think, which was a game that came out not too far after this, that that's something that it didn't do. And then, of course, the game manual as a necessary thing was largely abandoned within a decade of this game coming out. Yeah. So it's just hysterical to me to think about any modern game doing this, like saying, Hey, uh, look up this thing outside of the confines of this game for more information, you know? Yeah. That's interesting. And this is kind of a weird, this is kind of a weird thing, but it makes me think about the way that, destiny one was told the majority of its story was in those grimoire cards right that you had to go outside of the game log onto a website pull up each individual grimoire card and read them like that's how this kind of feels to me and generally don't love that but also again having to remember the nes was just not capable of handling the, the level of information needed to mm. tell a story yeah. in that way. Yeah. So I'm going to leave you with one final thought before we move on to the dungeon map. And that is, I think you and I expected this game to be the season one of next gen Star Trek, the next generation of yeah, Zelda. For sure. Right? With, with, with episodes like uh code of honor and uh, <laughs> such duds as code of honor. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh, gross. Yeah. It's nasty. Uh, and, and in that, I think we, when I say that, I mean, I think we were expecting it to be, a highly unrefined version of itself where it was really trying to figure some stuff out and in many ways didn't actually even really feel like uh, the version of of this series that we love, you know? Yeah. And I think what I found to be the case was that this is actually the Star Wars A New Hope of Zelda. So far, I would agree with you. In, in, in which it's like, it is it is a, a blast on the simplistic terms in which it presents itself. You know, it's it's like it's got this um, it's got this whole new universe that it doesn't do a whole lot of explaining about. Obviously, A New Hope has a fair amount of explaining, but right, like it's still a, a pretty rudimentary version of Star Wars when you go and you and you watch A New Hope for sure. But um, but I think that it gives you enough room to really enjoy it, and it's still quintessentially Star Wars, like. I, I I still found this to be a game that felt like Zelda, 
it, yeah. it, it was not f- the, like the feeling of playing a Zelda game was present here for me. I absolutely agree with that. Yes. Cool. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into part three, which is the dungeon map where we analyze this week's dungeon from mechanics to music and more. Uh, the dungeon we're tackling this week is the Eagle, which is dungeon number one of The Legend of Zelda. And I think that this is um, what I'm really curious to see. What I'm most curious to see after this first week, Matt, is whether the dungeons retain this level of simplicity, because most first dungeons are the the simplest of all of the dungeons. Pretty simple, yeah. right? Um, and I'm just wondering if that is going to be the case with this one, and then they become more complex the further that you go along, or if we're just going to be treated to basically this kind of level of of complexity the further that we go into the game, plus or minus some combat difficulty. Yeah, I'll be 100% honest. When I got to the boss, I didn't even realize I was at the boss. The first oh, really? I was like... I was like, oh, this seems like a pretty cool like mini boss. Like I was thinking in terms of mini boss and then go into boss from right? like Link's Awakening. Yeah, exactly. Right? And so <laughs> I beat this dragon mostly with bombs um, and then walked into the next room and I saw the piece of Triforce sitting there and I was like, wait, I haven't explored all the rooms yet because I picked up the map in the compass. And so I was like, I haven't been into some of these rooms at the top left and i was like okay interesting um so did you see the triforce then leave and turn around to go explore more yes that's exactly what i did gotcha so i saw the triforce and i was like i don't want that right now because i don't want to end the dungeon i want to go explore the rest of these rooms so which is a very good thing that i did because that's when i found the bow (laughs) i found the bow after killing the boss so there there you go in in fairness i think there would have been nothing keeping you from coming back in and finishing that right no for sure but also that's just how i play all games and dungeons it all dungeons in all games is explore every single room you possibly can before going into the boss room well and i think it's so interesting because again we're trained to do that because our typical experience with dungeons is that you like you have to do that because otherwise you won't be able to beat it right Mm -hmm. like by doing that you will eventually find the thing that leads you to the thing to another thing to another thing and that was somewhat the case here just because key doors do exist for and sure. So you've got to you've got to find keys to progress through the dungeon. But the two items that we get in this dungeon, the boomerang and the bow, neither of them were required in any way, shape or form to beat it. Uh, absolutely. Like the boomerang, as far as I could tell, didn't actually even affect the boss. Like maybe I just didn't notice it, but I threw the boomerang at him and he didn't slow down either his movement or uh, his throwing of uh, fireballs. So I was like, huh, maybe this isn't the way to do it, which is how I ended up the uh, just bombing him to death. Right. Um, which I think it only took like three bombs. So I actually used I went into the boss with full health. And so I used my sword beam. Which, uh, see, I did not. Which, by the way, I think that sword beam, especially in the early stages of this game, when you have less hearts and are thus at full health Man, more often. Oh, gosh, it's so good. I really think that sword beam, I, I, it's typically not something I use a ton in Zelda games because lots of Zelda games have it. Link's Awakening has it. Link to the Past has it. You know, even Skyward Sword has it. Breath of the Wild has it, right? Uh, yeah. And, uh, and it's typically not something that I really rely on at all uh but this version of the sword beam is crazy not only does it do good damage but it, it does has full damage. damage yeah it does full sword damage from what i can tell obviously i'm only using it against very low level enemies yeah so uh, from what i can tell it does full sword damage from the entire length of the screen and then uh, like you said separates into four diagonal splashes 
Like this crazy. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. It's re- it's really, really powerful. Uh, so I definitely use that uh, quite a bit in this dungeon and in this section of game, generally speaking. I did think one thing that was really interesting. So these dungeons do have titles, obviously. Um, when I was kind of like, uh, I was trying to, I, I looked up a walkthrough of this game a few weeks ago and didn't read the walkthrough, but I was trying to get a sense for the structure of the game. Yeah. And it, and the dungeons were just listed as like dungeon one, two, three, four, five, et cetera. Uh, but, uh, Phil's hand-drawn game guide, uh, lists them by other names, which is, uh, the eagle, the moon, the manji, the snake, the lizard, whatever. And I think it's really fun because, uh, this game actually starts something that, uh, is continued on at least into Link's Awakening. I'm not sure if it is in A Link to the Past or not. I'd have to go back and look, but, um, where the layout of the dungeon is like shaped in accordance with the, I guess the title of the dungeon, like the, I mean, it, it's very rudimentary, right? Like, yeah. you know, yes, I guess this looks like an Eagle on the map. Uh, the next one definitely looks like a moon and so on and so forth. Um, one of the ones coming up, unfortunately it looks like a swastika, which, yeah, I noticed that that was, uh, not great. Well, we'll get into that a little bit later. There's some cultural stuff going on there. I actually found an explanation for this. We'll talk about it in chapter two. But um, it, it is not it is not the Nazi swastika, just in case you were worried about it. But uh, regardless, yes, the over the the map, uh, the map of these dungeons does reveal them to be arranged in a way uh, that is corresponding to their title. So this is makes sense. This is the eagle. Um, and as far as I can tell, the uh, the importance of that name kind of ends at the layout of the map. <laughs> so, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, because the the boss was definitely not an eagle. No, definitely was not. Um, I did think it was really fun. Uh, I mean, ha- getting two main items in a dungeon and, he, and in your first dungeon, and those two main items being the boomerang and the bow is pretty neat. Both of which are ranged items, which yes. is very important in general, especially on these uh, side scrollers or top downs. I feel like ranged items are honestly a little bit more important mm. for combat in. Yeah. top down Zelda's. I think it's really neat that it gives you the bow and doesn't give you arrows for it. I also I don't know that I would say neat. Well, I think, I think it's, it's interesting. Just, I, I think it's this is the kind of game it is, right? Where you're supposed to find these things in little bits and pieces and they are not required for immediate use. So why would you get arrows with it? You know, get the bow and then go back out and then go find a shop and have to buy some or something, right? Right. I think it, it's just that kind of, of game. Um, and I mean, you know, in Breath of the Wild, you get a bow and that bow doesn't come with arrows, you know, like you've got to go get. Right. That's for it. that's true. But you also aren't forced to buy arrows in Breath of the Wild. You can get them from defeating enemies who shoot bows at you. That's fair. That's a good point. Um, I still think so. So basically what that brings me to is um, ah, this isn't even necessarily dungeon related. Uh Huh. I'll need I'll need to circle back around to this because it's not applicable for right now. Uh, regardless of that, I think that this dungeon does have a few interesting things going on that we see carried forward into future versions of Zelda dungeons because this is rudimentary by anyone's standards. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. I mean, yes. Yes. However, it does have a few things. One, it's got a pushable block. I did find the pushable block. That was fun. Well, did you get the hint before you found the pushable block? No. Cool. So there is an old man in the very in the in the eastern. No, sorry. The westernmost room of this dungeon. There's an old man. And from what I can tell, there's actually an old man room in each dungeon. And the old man will in that room will give you a hint for that dungeon. 
It, they function kind of like the owl statues do in Link's Awakening. Okay, okay, okay. And so if you find the old man in Dungeon 1, what he says is that eastmost peninsula is the secret. Yes, I found him later, and I was very confused as to what he was talking about. So it was interesting because <laughs> immediately, so I read that, and of course my big Zelda brain self thought, oh, he's telling me that there's like an eastern peninsula in the map of Hyrule somewhere. I thought he and was talking like, about an eastern peninsula within like the eastmost room is. Oh, okay. That's so, what I thought he was talking so about. So anyway, I'm thinking like, okay, well, after I get done here, I've got to go to like East Hyrule and go see what's over there or whatever. Uh, what he's actually talking about is the eastmost stone in that collection of stones that are immovable. Oh, well. Is, is pushable. So it was a dungeon hint, and it's kind of an obs- like it, it's I don't know I mean it's definitely not <laughs> clear. Uh, no, it's it's not. Um, I was yeah de- definitely did not get that one either. So uh, no, that that went right over my head. Okay, I, I honestly thought he was saying that the easternmost room in the dungeon is where the key is hidden, and that actually is true because the easternmost room in the dungeon is what's housing the the triforce piece well that's fair so i was like oh well that makes sense and then i guess i was wrong so there you go so now you know to look out for the old man room in each successive dungeon uh if the trend continues that old man will give you a hint that helps you do something within the dungeon well that's good to know pro tip Happy I could turn you on to that one, Matt. <laughs> um, other than that, combat is pretty rudimentary. We got a lot of keys, a lot of Stolfos. Um, who you've got floor traps like the razors that kind of move when you walk into their line of sight. Yep, yep. These are ridiculously easy to avoid in this game. They yes. move very slowly. They they are, yeah, they're not, not hard. Yeah. Um, and then the boss is uh, not even, you know, uh, we've got no mechanics to speak of. I would even say not even much combat difficulty to speak of because the projectiles that the boss shoots are very, pretty easily avoidable. Yeah, easy to dodge. What we do have are wall masters. Um, yeah, those bastards. Which I actually found uh, it was really easy to farm them for good stuff going into the boss. I did that as well. Yeah. Um, and of course, in this game, wall masters work as they do in any other Zelda game, where if they pick you up, then you get uh, warped back to the beginning of the dungeon. So stay away from those guys. Yes, unless you, for some reason, want to go back to the beginning of the dungeon, one which thing, I don't know why you would want to do that. Yeah, one thing that I did notice as well is that this dungeon has something interesting, which is that it has bombable walls. And it does. Yes, it does. Uh, oh, if you look at if you look at. um if you look at the illustrated map in Phil's hand-drawn game guide, uh, you will see that there are doors leading between two of the chambers to two of the other chambers, and they have cracks on them. So those walls are bombable, and they are not necessary to progress through the dungeon. All they would actually do is increase the speed at which you get from one part of the dungeon to another one. And I think that that's really interesting, and I actually kind of I like that. If you're going to have a game where bombable walls are not immediately visible or apparent Mm -hmm. then i think that it's not unfair for them to be able to move you through the dungeon more quickly if you know that they're there okay well that's fair i guess yeah it's it's not it's not an it's not too easy of a of a bonus if you yeah it's not like a it's not like a fairy fountain or like i mean i guess a fairy fountain wouldn't be too bad either but it's not like a i don't know what else could be behind it honestly i I don't know where i was going with that just gonna you're right Thank you. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Neat. This is fun. I like agreeing on things. Um, 
So there's another uh, interesting thing that I noticed, um, which is that some blocks that are in this dungeon are only able to be moved after you've defeated all enemies in a room. Yes. So the block that gets you to the old man's tip room, uh, that can only be moved after you've defeated all three of the gels, which I guess are supposed to be like choo-choos, but are gels in this game. Yeah, they're weird little blobbies yeah uh that can only be moved after you've defeated all the enemies in the room so that's another thing to look out for going forward uh matt do you have anything else you want to say about uh dungeon number one before we move on i actually kind of like the way the wall masters look i feel like they're some of the best rendered enemies so far like the stalfos are kind of whatever they look like halloween skeletons but the wall masters i kind of like them they're purple and they look like they have sores on the hands Mm, so i feel like i want to just give a shout out to the wall masters on that yeah yeah i do want to mention the dungeon music real quick before we move on because i'm curious to see if dungeon music is just the same music for every dungeon i'm sure it probably is i'm sure there's oh almost definitely yeah i'm sure there's just one dungeon theme but um but it is nice you know it has a a sense of like dangerous exploration and yeah i think uh for for this 8-bit game, I think it is a, a good piece of music. Um, that's all I really have to say about it. It's got good atmosphere. I think that's a fair call out, Lyndon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's go ahead and then get into uh, part four, which is Bloopy Trails, where we talk about anything that uh, diverted our attention. Um, I think, what what was Bloopy Trails before Breath of the Wild? Here we go. Uh, it was just called Let's Talk Side Quests. Okay. Well, there you go. I thought we had a more creative name for that i think it just needs to be bloopy trails i think it needs out. to be bloopy trails from here on out bloopy trails was really good okay yeah, cool. we should keep that yeah. thank you thank you very much so uh yeah bloopy trails where we talk about things that diverted our attention uh i think we actually kind of put the cart before the horse on this one a little bit and already talked about the things that we, we did attention. yeah i was about to say i think i've already talked about everything i did in the game <laughs> this is an interesting point max did tell me that we may have to reanalyze our structure for the episode going forward because there's just a little bit less going on in this game than there is typically. And maybe we don't need to change the structure. Maybe we just need to resign ourselves to the fact that we're going to have less to talk about in this section. Or just be intentional about uh, not spoiling the random stuff we did in the... Okay, fair enough. Takes. So, uh, bloopy trails for me. I said earlier, I gained two pieces of heart before going into the dungeon. One was a bombable wall down by the, uh, I guess, the sea in the... Uh, in the in the southern region, close by where you spawn, and then the other one was um behind the tree that you can burn by dungeon number one. Uh, I also did find a rupee game, which I kind of told you about earlier. You can get into this room, and when you walk in, all you see are three rupees, yep. and you can pick. You like you walk up to any one of the three, and you have a one third chance of getting rupees, and a two thirds chance of having rupees subtracted. How, what's the plus and minus there? I'm not sure what the chances Did are. Did you lose every time? No, I didn't. Oh, I, no. So what I was asking was how many rupees do you get versus how many oh, rupees do you lose? I lost. So I, I did this like six times. The three times that I lost, I lost 10 rupees each time. The three times, that sucks. The three times that I won, one time I won 50 rupees and the other two times I won 20. Can you use the rewind functionality here to cheat? Absolutely. <laughs> oh wow that's gross bet your ass you can that's gross <laughs> so there you go matt go get you some free rupees 
All right. You cheater. That's what we call a cheater. I know. Big, big fat cheater. And the, you know, the only other thing I really did is that I did spend some time just wandering around Hyrule. Um, Hey, Matt, uh, as an addendum to our bloopy trails, let's take a bloopy trail into what we're sipping tonight. What is it? We haven't done that in a long time. We haven't done that in a long time. It's been like a long time since we talked about what we, our podcast fluid. Um, so we are drinking Jack Daniels bonded Tennessee whiskey bottled and bond. It's a hundred proof uh, version of Jack Daniels. And man, it's really good. I don't like regular Jack Daniels. It tastes like straight charcoal to me. Um, but this Jack Daniels is phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, so bottled and bond, uh, as the youngest Willie brother would tell you, basically means that the whiskey is at 100 proof. And uh, this is technically not a bourbon. It is a Tennessee whiskey. But yeah, it's a new entry in the Jack Daniels lineup, and it is significantly superior to Rego Jack Daniels. So. And significantly superior to Gentleman Jack, which I actually don't mind Gentleman Jack. I, I, I'm going, like I said, to a bachelor party this weekend. Uh, it's BYOL. Uh, and my my liquor of choice to bring to most parties like that is uh, Gentleman Jack because it's cheap and it gets the job done and it's palatable at all points of the evening. Fair enough. So there you go. Jack Daniels bonded. Good stuff. All right. Let's move on from our bloopy trail in which we talked about liquor and get into your bloopy <laughs> trail in which you talk about what you did in this section of game. Uh, I wasted probably 60 bombs uh died probably a dozen times found a singular piece of heart or uh, heart container in all of that activity i got up to like 120 rupees though so that was good um yeah that was just about it okay so yeah sounds good uh that brings us to part five which is z targeting where we talk or where we lock on to fascinating characters or enemies that we happen to cross matt uh, again i think this is an area where we're going to have some slim pickings and i uh, i'm willing to bet that we're actually going to be relying on enemies just a bit more in this pretty game pretty much entirely yes than than we have in the past but regardless of that um go ahead and give us your z targeting i'm gonna let you go first on this one uh well the obvious choice is the old man that gives you the sword Helpful, helpful dude. Helpful dude. We like him. Thank you for the sword. Also, why are you a random old dude in a cave by yourself with the sword waiting for a child to come pick up said sword? Very interesting. Someone going to need to call the, the pedo police on that one or who can uh, who can who can tell? I think I think he was just concerned. You know, there's monsters out there. Right. But yeah, OK, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to choose not to dig too far down this rabbit hole. So. Old that, man. That thank you. wise. Thank you for the sword. Cool. Um, <laughs> very interesting because we, we have kind of like a, a recurring motif of like old men helping Link do things in Zelda games, right? <laughs> <And> <laughs> old men level themselves some Link. <laughs> and we see that it starts here. So my Z targeting pick is going to be... Um, um, I kind of like I, I so I, re, I so the boss of the first dungeon uh, Aquamentus um who I have no idea how you know that that's what the boss's name is but that's what it's listed as in uh in Phil's hand drawn game guide uh a winged water dragon I'm guessing it's a water dragon because it has aqua in the name um I think it's not very often that we stumble across just dragon ass dragons in Zelda games as enemies they're usually like mystical creatures that either help you or ambivalent to you yeah yeah exactly and and at least as enemies that you fight it doesn't happen a lot and this is just uh this is just a bad dragon 
bad dragon with he's, wings he's doesn't a, want you to get the Triforce. He's a bad boy. Yep. Or girl. Aquamentus. Uh, that's I, a that's a male, isn't it? Might I don't not know. might not have a gender. Who's to say? Yeah. Some some dragons are uh, genderless. Her- hermaphroditic. Yeah. So there you go. There you go. Um, bad dragon. Yeah. Kind of cool looking dragon in the game. Really cool looking illustration of this dragon in uh, Phil's um, in Phil's guide. So definitely go check that out. It's it's free on hand drawn game guides. I think it's handdrawngameguides.com. I don't know. Google hand drawn game guides and you'll find it. It's free to download. Um, but I mean, yeah, cool, cool character design. I will say that as kind of like an auxiliary Z targeting, I feel like the. Um, the character sprite animation in this game, just generally speaking. Oh, dude, I was going to call that out, too. Uh, yeah, I really like it. Like, I didn't think I was going to like it, but it's it's really good. Um, it's just the right. I don't know. It just feels right. Uh, it's, I don't know why. It's simplistic enough to be kind of like charming in a, exactly. in a nostalgic way. I, I think right? that's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I found a lot of these characters to be pretty well animated. And honestly, I think the world itself is pretty well animated and colored, too. I mean, obviously, the overworld, like just a bunch of trees and, and sand and whatnot is kind of simplistic. But like even when you get into the dungeons and everything and the color palette shifts wildly, um, I think that's really fun. I think that's a big difference in um, the amount of dimension that you get from an 8-bit game on the Game Boy, the original mm-hmm. Game Boy, which was monochrome yeah. versus the NES, which did have full color, you know? Yeah. I think I I am, I am don't love the environmental sprites as much as I love the uh, character and enemy sprites. Yeah. Um, so I think that's where I'm going to have to kind of disagree is that I don't, I think that the environmental sprites are just a little bit too simplistic to be, to fall into the category of nostalgic charm. Yeah. Um, obviously they are what they are because of the era, but fair um, enough. All right. Well, that brings us to part six, which is our final thoughts in which we let Matt tie up this section of game and is in as a succinct way as he can possibly think to do should be a lot uh, easier now than it has been recently. Oh, I had to take a sip of whiskey. Um, The Legend of Zelda being the first entry of the entire Zelda series holds a special place in uh, lore, in canon, and in uh, people's hearts. Uh, It starts out as uh, really a product of its time where if you haven't engaged in um, resources outside of the game, you can find yourself really lost within this world with very little to go on. Um, But if you have done uh, the proper thing and educating yourself via the game guide or any other external resources, uh, you find yourself in kind of an enjoyable yet very challenging environment uh, that can sometimes be difficult and punishing, but is still in some way, shape or form uh, absolutely enjoyable and charming in just as many ways as it is uh, punishing and, and difficult. Uh, it's been a fun go so far. Um, obviously, our first dungeon has been very simplistic with the final boss. <laughs> I didn't even know it was the final boss, so I don't know what that says about it. But um, yeah, I think we get a good intro to what is undoubtedly going to be a very unique and very uh, period appropriate game for us to play 
Wonderful. Uh, well done, as always, Matt. That brings us to the end of the Sacred Realms Rundown for this week. We will, of course, be back in two weeks with another installment of the Sacred Realms Rundown in which we cover Chapter 2 of The Legend of Zelda. That one will contain two dungeons. We're doing uh, two dungeons per episode from here on out. Uh, next are going to be Dungeon 2, which I believe is Moon, and Dungeon 3, which is Manji. Uh, and we will cover them both in an episode together. So that will be fun to come around to. Uh, Before we get out of here, we do, of course, uh, have a section for listener mail whenever it is applicable. Listener mail is something that any patron of our show is able to send in to us. And whenever we receive it, we try to read it out on the show. We have several good ones tonight, Matt, uh, that have all come from our Discord. So I'm going to start off with this first one from our good friend Drew Sprayberry. Uh, whose name I mispronounced for a very long time. It's not Spayberry. It is Spray- Sprayberry. Yes. yes. No, we, we were very apologetic about that one and still are. Yep. We always feel, I don't know if it's just, if it's the fact that we've had a last name that can be hard to pronounce when you're trying to read it, but we're very sensitive to mispronouncing people's names and we feel very bad when we do it. Absolutely. So Drew has a two-part question for us, Matt. Yes. Part one, what's the most unexpectedly frustrating aspect of the game so far? And mm-hmm. part two, what is the most unexpectedly enjoyable part of the game so far? I don't think that I found anything unexpectedly frustrating. I did. Everything that I thought was going to be frustrating has been exactly as frustrating as I thought it was going to be. Um, I think maybe the most frustrating thing about the game so far is the lack of diagonal uh, combat capability. So that's kind of a non-answer, but there you go. Well, for you, probably more applicable. What's the most unexpectedly enjoyable part of the game so far? Oh, for sure. Um, The the kind of aimless exploration has been the most enjoyable part so far. Like, even though I know that I don't know where I'm going, I don't really care that much. I'm just kind of wandering around and killing some dudes and getting some rupees and hanging out in that way do you feel like the people who told us that breath of the wild was the most modern possible interpretation of the original promise of legend of zelda do you think that they were accurate in that very specific way yes okay yeah well it has to be that specific because the you 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 have to analyze that observation on the grounds of the limited scope of the original Zelda, right? Right. Like the original Zelda was was limited in certain specific ways, but it also was a very specific thing. And so Breath of the Wild obviously being much more modern having so much more to it, you can still say that yes, this is this in many ways that other ga- other Zelda games don't feel like is actually a much more faithful interpretation of the spirit of the original legend of zelda than than some others i feel that way after after this first section i see where they're coming from um especially in terms of like the the non-linear nature in which you can do these things um the way that like you can just like find items and they're not necessary for any specific thing uh the way that you can aimlessly wander and have a fun time in what you're talking about yeah uh yeah i mean i i just I think the exploration bit definitely holds true. I I have a hard time. Maybe this is just me being not creative enough or I don't know what, what the right phrase is there, but I, I just have a kind of a hard time comparing the two because they're just so different. But um, 
Yeah, the the aimless exploration, the ability to just go anywhere and do anything at the beginning of the game from from go is definitely very Breath of the Wild. Gotcha. Uh, So my two answers, the most unexpectedly frustrating aspect of the game so far, menu navigation. Oh, yes. God. So I kind of take for granted now the fact that when you go into a pause menu in a game, there are like five ways to get out of that pause menu. You can push start to get back out of it. You can push start to go into it. When you're in the menu, you can push A to do some things and you can push B to do some other things, but you can always sometimes push B to get back out of the menu, right? So this game was designed with a controller in mind that had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, I guess nine buttons if you include every direction of the D-pad. Right. Right. It had A, B, start, select, and then the D-pad. And so within that limited input ability, sure, there were some things that were going to be kind of difficult. The start button actually had a very different meaning on old controllers than it does now. Um, And and like it truly did mean start, enter, boot up. Like, yeah, I think one of the weirdest things to me is going back to older games like this and trying to hit A on my save file to get back into it, but A not working. Yeah, you have to hit the... Yeah. Yeah, I... It actually took me kind of an embarrassingly embarrassingly long time to select a save file and then create a name and then accept that the name I created. Right. Yeah, that was it was a very interesting frustrating experience. Well, because for sure. even even the save because I had a previously existing save from um that that one time that I played for 5 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. And I wanted to delete that save and create a new one. And in order to do that, there's a really weird like scrolling thing that you have to do. And then also it doesn't just say delete save. It calls it elimination mode. Elimination mode. Wow. Okay. Right. That is. uh, (laughs) Wow. And then also there's no the game asking you, are you sure you want to clear this save? You just kind of hit start on it and bada bing, bada bang. You save gone. Well. That's unfortunate. <laughs> it is. So yeah, menu navigation definitely has come a long way since uh, since this old game. But I guess that's just appropriate given how many more buttons we have on controllers now. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, most unexpectedly enjoyable part of the game so far, I was expecting to be underwhelmed by the music. Um, I was expecting highly rudimentary versions of classic Zelda music. And in some ways that was the case, but... I found that the capabilities of the 8-bit soundtrack to be actually a bit more up to par um, than, you know, than I was really expecting them to be. The title music is actually really great. Um, Yeah. It kind of plays, you know, I I was expecting it just to be like, dun-dun, bum-bum-ba-da-bum. And it does lead into that, but it starts with the whole, it's it's basically just our our opening theme music. It's like, bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-b
um, has kind of got me feeling a bit more warm and fuzzy on it than I otherwise would have been. It doesn't feel old to me because I skipped right past the part of game history where this was an outdated game. Yeah. And it like became an adult in an era where games were specifically trying to do this. And like, yeah, they're trying to recreate what what was normal. Right. And now that is retro. Yeah. And. and in a good way. <laughs> yeah. And, and it now has its own very specific charm to me. Yes. So I, I agree with that. So definitely the music. And then also what I said earlier, just the realization that to me, this did not feel like a weird proto Zelda. This feels like Zelda to me. I agree. I was not expecting this to feel like a regular Zelda game, but it, it definitely does. Yeah. Uh, so the other question that we have is a, is a quick one from our friend Cody Davies of Zelda Universe. He says, is the Legend of Zelda as rad as it says in this commercial? And Matt, I'm going to play this commercial for you real quick. You need yes, please do. C- come, come, come around and look at it. Oh, I'm, I can play it on mine. I have Discord open right now. Well, OK, you will turn your volume down and we'll do one, two, three, play. Did you see the latest Nintendo newsletter? Whoa, nice graphics. I'd like to get my hands on that game. You mean you haven't played it yet? We can play it on my Nintendo Entertainment System. It's the Legend of Zelda, and it's really rad. Those creatures from Ganon are pretty bad. Octorox Tech Tech's Libras, too. But with your help, our hero pulls through. Yeah, go, Link. Yeah, get Zelda. Awesome. Intense. The Nintendo Entertainment System. Your parents help you hook it up. The Legend of Zelda sold separate. Wow. So there you go, Matt. Do you think that the Legend of Zelda is as rad as it says in the commercial? Wow. <laughs> I don't think anything could be that rad ever, Lyndon. That is the most rad thing I've ever seen I in wonder, my 28 I, years of life. I wonder if I'm going to be able to get audio for, for this and plug it into the podcast. God, Basically, that was... if I'm not, it's the two whitest white kids in the history of white kid dumb who are rapping about zelda but it's like a 1980s white kid rap yeah like it predates even the will smith like uncomfortably earnest style of rap yes right it's it's bad and their their styles are so eight like late 80s one of them has the urkel glasses and he's constantly just pushing them up on his nose uh another one the other kid has the full floofed up he should have frosted tips if this was 1993 no but he looks like uh, he looks like uh, kevin's brother buzz from home alone that's exactly who he looks like if he if buzz was not fat yeah Uh, yeah yeah that's exactly what he looks like oh god yeah that was that was that was so rad r a capital r capital a capital d definitely a product of his time not nearly as cool as the paul rudd link to the past commercial though yeah that's true well that's because paul rudd paul rudd ant-man himself yeah so uh to answer your question cody yes the legend of zelda is exactly that rad but i don't know if that's actually a A good thing thing or not or yeah or a bad thing but it's but yes is the answer to your question (laughs) thank you for sharing i also love at the end of the commercial it says your parents help you hook it up Right. Yeah, that was interesting, which is like is so funny to me because in the day like in the year of our Lord 2022, any like I, I think that my one year and one month old son might be able to hook up the the, re, the red, yellow and uh, white connectors to a TV 
and then plug the cord into the NES, it's, right? Oh, it's like when Mando's having Grogu help him fix his ship in season two. The blue wire connects to the red wire. <laughs> yeah, <it is. laughs> There's a better Star Wars quote for you. There you go. We, re- we pulled it back in the end. We redeemed it. Hey, Matt, did your parents help you hook up uh, your Nintendo Switch to play this game? No. They did not because okay. it's just two Joy-Cons going on either side. Yeah, mine either. We did Nothing it Nothing to hook. We did it Dang wrong. it. We didn't ask mom and dad for permission or help. Ugh. How maybe, dare we? Maybe next time. Maybe next time. <sighs> the, we didn't follow the parental advisory, Lyndon. <laughs> well, I think that does it for listener mail, Matt. We will, of course, uh, try to do a really good job about updating our Discord channel whenever we have an episode about to go live, and uh, we'll we'll get questions from the audience. Um, those are some very good ones to start off with. Matt, are you ready to get out of here for the week? <sighs> yes, I am. I need to shower and go to bed because... Moving sucks. Well, if for no other reason, I'm ready to bounce out of here because my timed outdoor lights just went off and we are submerged in complete darkness. I think that's also a very good reason to want to get out of here. I have no magic powder, and so we must tie up this episode. <sighs> Dang it, Lyndon. You're supposed to bring the magic powder. Well, I, I failed to collect uh, the necessary toadstool from the mystical forest, so... Sounds like you're just falling down on your job. I am. I am. I, I apologize, and it will never happen again. All right, well, let's go ahead and get out of here for the week. If you enjoyed today's show and you would like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod and become a patron if you've got no rupees. It's not a problem. Five-star Apple Podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show. That makes us very happy, Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at sacredrealmspod for updates on the podcast and for behind-the-scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on... Uh, our bonus episode content, which will be a discussion on game guides and the hand-drawn Zelda game guide specifically with artist Phil Summers. Uh, after that, we will be back the next week with Chapter 2 of The Legend of Zelda. The Legend of Zelda can, of course, uh, be played on the Nintendo NES, the Game Boy Advance, the Nintendo NES Mini, the Nintendo Switch, the Wii U, the 3DS Everything can be played on everything. I I would love to. I, I think it would be probably shorter to list the places where you cannot, cannot play, play it. The what Legend it? of Zelda. Like, like the Wii? No, you can play it on the Wii. It's on the oh, Wii shop. Or, okay. or at least it was on the eShop. I think that's shut down now. But if you had it, then you still have it. So can you play it on the 3DS? Yeah, definitely. OK, well, then, yeah, I, I actually don't know where you can't play it. Uh, the uh, GameCube. GameCube. I don't know. It's probably. No, it's, I think it's on the. I think it's on. The, is it on that collection? Yeah, disc that I have the yeah. collection disc. We can check. And I have a GameCube. Mm, interesting. You cannot play it on the Nintendo 64. Ah, there you go. <laughs> or, or, or the SNES. Maybe the SNES. I don't know. They they re-released um, NES Mario's on the SNES, so that maybe is even something you could do. I don't know. You can play it, like, everywhere. So please play along with us. Share your thoughts on our social channels. In the meantime, may your hearts be full. May your arrows never miss. We will catch y'all next time. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences. Bye!